Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Saving Minds, the podcast that uncovers what's happening in the search for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease treatments. I'm Shanti Skiffington, your co-host, and uh, Dr. Goldstein, my co-host, is continuing his international travel, but I'm joined today once again by Dr. Joanne Kaplan, uh, who just returned from uh, the Alzheimer's Association International Conference, or AAIC. It's the largest Alzheimer's disease conference of the year. And we had her on last week on episode nine to preview the conference. And she's here with us once again to tell us about the great, exciting data uh, that she was a part of at the conference. So Dr. Kaplan, thank you once again for joining us. Thanks for having me. So perhaps we can kick off our discussion by touching on some of the newsmakers from the conference. Uh, anyone who's been following the news from AIC uh, heard a lot about some data that showed that adopting some healthy lifestyle habits uh, was shown to benefit not only brain health, but also uh, offset risk factors for both Alzheimer's and other dementias. Can you tell us more about these data? Yes, this was very interesting. The uh... The lifestyle habits that were highlighted are behaviors that, that we all know are good for us. Uh, for example, having a healthy diet, not smoking, uh, having moderate alcohol consumption, regular exercise, and mentally stimulating activities. Uh, but what was really interesting is that at AAIC, they showed results uh, from formal long-term observational studies that followed people for many years and it really conclusively showed that the participants who adopted four or five of these lifestyle factors had about a 60% lower risk of Alzheimer's dementia compared to the participants who did not follow any of these habits or, or only one of these habits. So it really made a difference. And what was even more interesting that you just mentioned is that the, the benefit of these lifestyle, lifestyle changes that extended when they looked at people who had an elevated gen genetic risk for Alzheimer's disease. So they look in particular at people who had some of the genes that um, increased the risk of Alzheimer's. And they found that um, in one particular study, uh, the people with this high risk who were following a favorable lifestyle that practiced these habits had a 32% lower risk of dementia from any cause uh, compared with on somebody who had an unfavorable lifestyle. So it's definitely worth making the, the effort to adjust our habits. Another reason to eat well, get good sleep, <laughs> exercise more. Uh, this is really in incredible findings. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Dr. Kaplan, was this one of the first studies of its kind to actually show that this had a reduction in development of disease, of Alzheimer's disease? I think it was uh, a study that had been ongoing for many years, and, and this was coming to its conclusion. And, and there were actually uh, several of those studies that were presented uh, at the conference. You did something we suspected for many years that now we can say it's official. Wow, that is great. So um, another topic that received some attention in the popular media was the new blood test for Alzheimer's disease. And I believe we've seen a little bit of this 
in the past, recent past, and it's not exactly ready for prime time as yet. But uh, I think the community is very excited about this, and we're interested in learning more about it. Yes, that was uh, actually very exciting uh, to potentially have a blood test. Uh, we're getting close. And the advantage of a blood test is that it's, it's much more convenient and, and practical than the tools that are currently used for diagnosis, which involve an MRI PET scan or a spinal tap. Uh, a blood test is something that you could just do uh, during your physical, during an office visit, and, and it's a low-cost kind of test. And uh, this could serve to support early detection of disease, improve the diagnosis, uh, and it could also right now help in clinical trial recruitment so that when you enroll patients, uh, you would be sure that their dementia is indeed caused by Alzheimer's disease and and not something else, uh, which can sort of throw off the results in your trial. Uh, and hopefully, in, in the not-too-distant future, when somebody would get tested, we would be able to then offer treatments uh, to any newly diagnosed patient. Excellent. So uh, our discussion of the blood test is actually a nice segue to biomarkers. And you spoke about biomarkers in the session that we recorded last week in preparation for AAIC. And uh, while it didn't receive a lot of media coverage, there was a lot of discussion about biomarkers at AAIC. Maybe you could share a little bit of what you learned. Yeah, so biomarkers uh, were a very hot topic. It, it really dominated the conference. There were many sessions on biomarkers. And, and really, I think the one of the most important takeaways is that measuring blood levels of neurofilament light, or NFL for short, uh, is holding up uh, as being a very robust biomarker that you can easily measure and that tracks with the damage to nerve cells in the brain. And what was uh, stressed at the conference that is important is it's a, a dynamic biomarker, meaning that it can go up or down in real time depending on what is happening in the brain. So that makes it very useful as a rapid way to determine whether your drug treatment is having an effect. Well, uh, it, it will be very excited to learn more about this really great development. Uh, certainly, that's something we need on the therapy side. So shifting to therapy development efforts, um, interested in your thoughts there, uh, amyloid beta is the naturally occurring protein that we've been discussing a lot on our podcasts, uh, mostly because it's the most validated target for therapy development efforts. Um, however, um, many of the so-called first-generation drug candidates that were aiming at amyloid beta have failed, as we've also discussed in our past episodes. And uh, this has been very frustrating for the community at large. It's received a lot of media coverage, um, but frustration doesn't stop science. And now we're looking at a second generation of drug candidates and therapy efforts that incorporate the learnings from these failures. And your oral presentation focused on one such effort. And now that you've released your data, can you discuss it more with our listeners? Yeah, so uh, it, it did come across in, in various presentations throughout the conference that uh, amyloid beta as a target is not dead. 
uh, even though there have been several failures, um, there was recognition that that the initial focus on, on clearing plaque was really flawed. And you could see from the various presentation that more attention is being paid to what we believe is the real target, which is toxic oligomers of A-beta. And in that regard, uh, our presentation on PMN310, which is our oligomer-selective antibody, uh, that presentation was well-received. That gave me the opportunity to show our data um, on the selective binding profile of PMN310 to toxic A-beta oligomers and no other forms of A-beta. And that has not yet been achieved by any other A-beta antibody to date. Uh, And I was also able to show how PMN310, when we tested its activity, uh, is able to protect neurons from being killed by toxic oligomers and is also able to preserve the ability of mice to form memories. So this uh, got very positive feedback. And as you know, we we plan to test this in the clinic. And all of these results actually have just been published uh, in a journal and available to to read. Yes, so I can direct listeners to the Promise Neurosciences website. Uh, That data is there. But it's very encouraging to hear that your presentation was so well attended and that there are other efforts underway that are also focused on so uh, t- selectively targeting the right part of amyloid beta, because now researchers have learned so much about that protein and what and about what the appropriate target is. So really great to hear that there's a lot of enthusiasm still and a lot of efforts underway because it will take many different efforts to um, treat this terrible disease. Uh, was there was there anything else that we haven't spoken of, Dr. Kaplan, that you think is worth mentioning to our listeners about um, exciting things that came out of the conference? Um, something really interesting that, that was covered during the conference is the, the possibility of conducting Alzheimer's disease clinical trials in the Down syndrome population. There was actually a whole workshop on Alzheimer's disease in Down syndrome individuals. And and as you know, people with Down syndrome have three copies of chromosome 21. And that happens to be the chromosome where the gene for amyloid beta protein production resides, the APP gene, amyloid precursor protein. So when you have three copies, there is more A-beta being produced, which lends itself to more aggregation and formation of oligomers. And these individuals almost all of them develop Alzheimer's disease by the time they are 50 or 60. So what was stressed at the conference and something that we had been thinking about as well is that um, this population, it's somewhere where it makes very good sense to conduct a trial and have the chance to achieve a clinical benefit for the patients. So here you have this homogeneous population that they all have the same genetic risk, trisomy 21, and they will all likely develop Alzheimer's disease by a certain age. So this could actually allow for a reasonably sized prevention trial before symptoms develop, which is likely to give rise to a better outcome. So this is something that we um, actually intend to include 
uh, Down syndrome individuals in the testing of PMN310, uh, again, our antibody against toxic oligomers, and, and um, have a chance to, to see an effect and, and make a difference for these patients. Wow, that is fascinating and such um, a wonderful thing to share with our listeners. Um, so great to hear that uh, so many wonderful things are happening. And just what was your personal perspective? Was there a lot of optimism and enthusiasm and hope for the future? Yes, actually, the mood the mood was very upbeat. You know, in spite of all the the recent failures, everybody was very aware of it. And uh, but basically, the mood was well. You know, we learned a lot, and now is not the time to give up. What we should do is double down, and and that was very much the attitude. That's wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for sharing information about this very important conference with our listeners. This type of detail often does not uh, does not make it to average people. So it's just wonderful to be able to hear your perspective and learn a little bit about what's to come in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you.